0: If you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to open up to look Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. <clears throat> I titled this morning's sermon, Are You Afraid of the Dark? And as we get into the message, uh, you will understand uh, the the reason why we ask the question, are you afraid of the dark? Uh, but I want to begin by talking a little bit about fear, what it is that, that that makes us afraid. You know, the scripture tells us in Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but God has given us a spirit of love, power, and sound mind. Uh, so we're going to talk just a little bit about fear. But before we do, let's go ahead and read our text this morning. Matthew chapter 14. We're going to be reading verses 22 through 33. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. And immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. And while he sent the multitudes away, and after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain to pray by himself. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many a stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, it's a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him and said to them, "O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, certainly you are God's son. Let's pray. God, let's, this morning as we come into your presence, may we be overwhelmed with who you are. May we realize our fear. Our fear is founded in ignorance. Our fear is founded in incomplete knowledge. Lord, may you dispel ignorance this morning. May you reveal yourself to us. May you shine the light of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And may this morning, may you meet us where we are. I pray this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I pray that as you, leave the place, as you leave this place today, that you will be met by Jesus in the de- deepest, darkest places in your life. Fear is a demonstration of, of ignorance. It's a demonstration of incomplete knowledge. Whenever Nicholas was a few years younger, his fa- my father-in-law, his grandfather, decided that, that Nicholas needed to see the gremlins, that, 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 that no, no child should be able to go through their childhood without watching the gremlins. And so Nicholas sat right by his grandfather, and, and they watched the gremlins. And, and, and Nicholas is enthralled with, with these, these little cuddly creatures as they, as they get wet and as they, they get fed after midnight, and they turn into these, these scary gremlins. Well, for about a year after Nicholas saw the gremlins, Dad had to set a gremlin trap outside of his window every night because Nicholas was terrified of the gremlins. And so we'd we'd put him to bed and, and we'd pray with him and we'd read him a bedtime story. And then about 15 minutes later, he'd come wandering into my bedroom and he'd say, Dad, I'm scared. We'd say, What are you afraid of, Nicholas? I'm afraid of the gremlins we'd say well you know gremlins don't exist i know but i'm still scared of the gremlins and and so we'd say okay dad's gonna go set out the gremlin trap and if there's any gremlins around they're gonna get caught in the gremlin trap and so you don't have anything to be afraid of so he'd say okay go go put out the gremlin trap well lo and behold there came a time when he was no longer afraid of the gremlins because he understood that they don't exist that, that they're not real. And then there was a time whenever Anna was young, and she watched The Grinch. And not the Dr. Seuss Grinch, but the, the, the real live two-hour feature film of The Grinch with Jim Carrey. And for about three years after she saw The Grinch, every night when she went to bed, she went to bed with the covers over her head and, and terrified of The Grinch. And truth be told today, she's probably still afraid of the Grinch. But in our lives, fear almost is always based upon ignorance or, or an incomplete understanding. When we turn off the lights and when we see, when we see that, that, that image in the corner of the closet and it looks like a man standing over our bedside, when the lights come on, we realize that it's simply our coat hanging on the coat rack. Whenever we, we in, in our incomplete understanding, in our ignorance, that is where fear is birthed. And so I want us to understand that as the disciples enter into this passage, they have an incomplete understanding of who Jesus is. Why is that? Well, let us go back to the messianic understanding of the people of the New Testament they had an understanding of the New Testament that the Messiah would be a man whom God would send to deliver Israel from their bondage. Why? Because this is all that the people of Israel knew. Go back to... Let's go back to the the idea and the understanding of the Messiah. All throughout the Old Testament, God had used men to deliver Israel from bondage. Whenever Israel... Was in bondage to Egypt. Whom did God send? We looked at this last week. Whom did God send to deliver Israel out of the out of the bondage in the Egyptians? Moses. And we talked we talked last week about how Moses for the Israelite people was the greatest character in their entire history. He was there. He was the epitome. of of the deliverance of God. He was the epitome of God's revelation to the Israelite people. He gave them the law. He served as their mediator. He served as their deliverer. That Moses was the be-all, end-all for the Israelite people. And God had used Moses to deliver them from bondage. He had used Moses in a very real way to deliver them out of bondage to the Egyptian people. We see all throughout the book of Judges. God raises up people. He raises up men like like Othniel and men like Ehud and men like like Jephthah and Samson to physically deliver Israel out of bondage he even raised up a woman Deborah to deliver Israel out of bondage and so for Israel's history all of Israel's history God has used men God has used regular ordinary men men like ezekiel men like elijah to do miraculous things to demonstrate his power and to deliver israel out of bondage that's what israel knew and so going into this messianic expectancy we must understand that that's the mindset that the israelites that's the mindset that the jewish people are going to bring into this idea of a messiah in fact during the 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 period between Uh, The Old Testament and the New Testament during that 400-year period of silence where where God had had not sent a prophet, we see the idea of the Messiah coming in the form of a man. In fact, today the Israelites still celebrate, the Jewish people still celebrate Hanukkah for a man that showed up during this this 400-year period, Judas Maccabees. And Judas Maccabees shows up and delivers Israel from bondage And in a very real way is celebrated as a messianic figure. And so this is the mindset that the disciples have going into their understanding of Messiah. That God will send a man who will deliver us from the bondage of Rome. The disciples have an incomplete understanding of who the Messiah will be. They expect the Messiah to be a man. So... Here's the disciples. Let me paint the picture for you. They're expecting their Messiah to be a man. Incomplete understanding. Where were the disciples? Well, the scripture tells us very clearly, if you look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 24. The boat was already many stadia away from the sea. A stadia, by definition, is about 600 feet So the disciples are a long way away from the edge of the lake. They're many stadia away from the land. They're out in the middle of the sea. Now, I want us to understand what this geographical location would have meant to the audience to which Matthew was writing. The word sea... And the idea of the sea in a New Testament and an Old Testament connotation, an Old Testament context and a New Testament context, the word sea was synonymous with death, with despair, and with distrust. This idea of being in the middle of the sea was an idea of being in complete despair, in complete desperation, in complete an utter destruction the sea was synonymous with that of uncertainty with that of of certain death and certain destruction well preacher where are you getting this from go with me if you will to the book of psalms and i want to point out a couple of passages in the old testament that reinforce this idea that the sea was considered for the old testament and even the new testament to be that which was synonymous with, with despair, that which was synonymous with death, that which was synonymous with destruction. Psalm chapter 68, verses 20, 21, and 22. The psalmist writes, God is to us a God of deliverances. And to God, the Lord, belongs escape from death. Verse 21, surely God will shatter the heads of his enemies and the hairy crown of him who goes on in his guilty deeds. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea. You see there in Psalm 20, uh, 68 verses 20 through 22, that death and destruction is synonymous with the sea. Look at verse 22. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea. Why? Because in verse 20, he said, God to us is a God of deliverance. The Lord is the one who delivers us. Delivers us from what? From the depths of the sea. What is the sea synonymous with? Death, destruction, despair. There's no coincidence that whenever the Israelites show up leaving Egypt, that they come To the edge of what? The sea. What does that symbolize for the Israelite people? Behind them you have Pharaoh's army coming. It's imminent destruction. It's imminent death. In front of them, what lies in front of them? The sea. Imminent death. Imminent destruction. Despair. They are literally caught between the rock and a hard place. And what does God do? He splits the sea. And they cross on dry ground. And what happens to Pharaoh's army? They are engulfed by what? The sea, destruction, despair, death. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalms chapter 89. Another example of how the sea is synonymous with death, despair, destruction. Psalm chapter 89, verse 9 and 10. Thou dost, talking about God, the psalmist says, Thou dost rule... The swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, thou dost still them. Thou dost crush Rahab like one who is slain. Thou dost scatter thy enemies with thy mighty arm. The psalmist is saying, You are sovereign, you rule even over that which causes death and destruction. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Have you ever wondered why in the New Jerusalem? The author gives us this picture of Revelation. This picture of the new Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, first earth had passed away. There is therefore now no longer any sea. Notice the author says. In the future paradise. There is no longer any sea. Why? If you skip down to verse 4, it said, He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death, there shall no longer be any mourning, any crying, any pain, for the first things have passed away. Why? Why is the author saying the sea is gone away when earlier he says that there is a crystal sea? Because the book of Revelation is symbolic book of Revelation uses imagery, uses apocalyptic literature. What the author is saying when he says there's no sea, he's not saying there's no water in heaven. He's not saying that in, in a New Jerusalem that there's not going to be any literal sea. He is saying that that which is associated with death and destruction and despair, that there will no longer be any death, destruction, despair, because God has once and for all defeated Satan, defeated sin, defeated the enemy, and What is equated with death, destruction, and despair? The sea. So let's go back to the question. Where were the disciples when Jesus met them? They were in the middle of the sea. Many stadia away from the edge. And when was it? The scripture tells us, the scripture tells us, go back to Matthew chapter 14. So they were in the middle of the sea, In verse 25 it says, And it was the fourth watch of the night. They were in the middle of the sea, and it was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. The darkest part of the night. You've heard the statement, it's always darkest just before the dawn. Jesus meets his disciples. He travels out onto the Sea of Galilee, and he meets them, In the middle of the sea, at the darkest part of the night. Now I want us to understand this as well. Go to uh, verse 24. Go to verse 24. It says, but the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves. How many of your versions, how many of your Bibles has a footnote by that word battered? If you have a reference edition, if you have a NIV or New American Standard or ESV or New King James, if you have a study Bible, you you may have a footnote there. It may be a a number or maybe a letter, maybe a note, an asterisk that, that points you to a word, that points you to the footnote of your Bible. The word in the Greek that is used there for battered by the waves literally means tormented. It means tormented as in a demonic oppression or a spiritual torment. Now, how is it possible that a boat can be tormented by, by a spiritual oppression? That's what the author is communicating. It's not talking about the boat being, being beaten up by by waves on the sea these were seasoned sailors they had been in rough water they had traveled across the sea of galilee many times when storms and 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 waves came upon them this was not something that was uncommon for them what the author is trying to communicate to us is that that the disciples were in a position where they were being tormented spiritually they were in a position of despair they were in a position of of imminent death imminent destruction not just physically but spiritually these disciples were in a place where they were in need for jesus to meet them has there been a time in your life when you found yourself in the middle of the sea When you have found yourself tormented by thoughts, tormented by circumstances, tormented by, by oppression from the enemy. Revelation chapter 12 calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. On the other side of our sin, on the other side of failure, we often find ourselves tormented by shame, by guilt. Hearing things like, if you were saved, you certainly wouldn't do this. You certainly wouldn't do that. You certainly wouldn't think like this. You certainly wouldn't be caught up in, in, in this sort of behavior, this sort of lifestyle. If, if you were really a child of God, you wouldn't do this. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't think like this. We get riddled with shame and guilt. We find ourselves distancing ourselves from those who love us the most, isolating ourselves. We don't want to come to church because what if people find out what I, what I really do when I'm all by myself? What if people find out how I really think? What if people find out what I did last weekend? What if people find out what, what I talk about whenever I'm at work? And the enemy accuses us and we get we get caught up in our sin and in our shame and it sends us to the depths of, of despair it sends us to the darkest of night the disciples were there now keep in mind this is just on the heels of them feeding thousands and thousands and thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish They were on this mountaintop experience. God had just poured out his grace. He had just poured out his mercy. He had just filled them with with this supernatural opportunity to, to, to feed thousands of people. And then they find themselves in the deepest, darkest despair. The disciples were in the middle of the sea, tormented by the wave, in the darkest part of the night. And that's when Jesus shows up. Amen? That's when Jesus shows up. Look at the text. Verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came walking on the sea. I want us to notice that Jesus met them in their despair and in their unbelief. They showed up, Jesus showed up, and immediately the disciples' response is what? They are terrified. Now, keep in mind, they see a guy walking to them on the water, I mean, it's not like they saw Jesus when they waved to him from the shore. I mean, he's walking to them on the water, and they were terrified. Now, they had just seen... Now, keep in mind, this is on the other side of Jesus calming the storm. This is on the other side of Jesus healing the blinds. on the other side of Jesus casting out the demons. On the other side of Jesus feeding the thousands. And so they knew the power of Christ, and yet they see Jesus coming, and they are gripped with fear. Jesus doesn't wait for them to prove themselves. He doesn't wait for them to believe in him. He doesn't wait for them to come to this moment of faith. Jesus meets them in their sin. He meets them in their unbelief. He meets them in their despair, in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the night. Jesus meets them. Jesus goes to them. Jesus doesn't stand on the shore and say hey guys whenever you're tired of being afraid come over here and i will give you comfort he doesn't say hey guys whenever you're tired of of doubting and whenever you're tired of your unbelief and you're tired of your sin go ahead and row over here to the shore and i will comfort you and i will give you no that is not the picture we see in scripture the picture we see in scripture is in their unbelief in their lack of faith in their despair in their sin, in the wallowing of their unbelief, their despair, in the midst of their struggle. That's where Jesus meets them. What a beautiful picture of the gospel here in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus meets his disciples in their despair, in their unbelief. And I want us to notice how Jesus meets them. Look at the text. Verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened. Saying it's a ghost. Verse 27. Immediately Jesus spoke to them. And he says three things. He says, don't be afraid. It is I take courage. And... I want us to look at this phrase, it is I. That phrase is, is translated many different ways in the New Testament, but most often it is translated, not it is I, but it is translated I am. Two Greek words in the New Testament, ego, ami. Ego, I, ami, the, the, the present tense of the, of the verb to be. Jesus makes the statement, I am. In John, we see Jesus say, Ego ame, I am the bread of life. We see Jesus make the statement, Ego ame, I am the good shepherd. We see Jesus make the statement, Ego ame, I am the door. Jesus makes the statement, I am. Ego a me, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. In John chapter 8, verse 58, I want us to see this John chapter 8 verse 58 this same phrase is used when Jesus is confronted with the Pharisees and Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he says before Abraham was ego ami that's what he said in the Greek language he looked at the Pharisees and he says before Abraham was ego ami I am and so Jesus walks on the water Meets the disciples in the deepest, darkest places of their despair. Meets the disciples in their unbelief. Meets the disciples in the middle of their sin. And says this, I am. He meets the disciples and comforts them. Not with, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. Doesn't comfort them with, that's okay, these waves will stop in just a few minutes, doesn't comfort them with with providence, doesn't comfort them with miracles, he comforts them with himself. He says, you know what? This life does stink. We live in a world that that is... a result of the consequence of sin. We live in a world where death is real, where illness is real, where sickness is real, and the only comfort I give you is me. I am. Therefore, you can weather the storm. You can weather the hardships. You can weather the illnesses. You can weather the grief. Why? Because I am. And when everything else in this world is falling apart, I am. Psalm chapter chapter 46. Though God is our refuge and strength, though the mountains fall into the depths of the sea, God says, be still and know that I am God. Take our refuge and strength in Him. Because the only thing that brings comfort is that God is in control there are things in our lives that cause us fear. How many of you have been watching the stock market? How many of you don't want to raise your hand because you don't want the preacher to talk about you because you've been watching the stock market? If you've been watching the market and you've been looking at your retirement portfolio, you're thinking, I'm going to have to work till I'm 87 because... Because if the market continues like it is, I'll never be able to retire. My security, my, my everything that, that, that I'm banking on, my inheritance for my children and grandchildren, it's going down the tubes. If you watch the news, you watch the stuff that's going on in the Middle East, you watch the, the, the stuff that's going on in North Korea, you watch the stuff that's going on all over the world, there is not a, a reason to have hope and have optimism. If you watch the things that are going on in our own country, I don't know if you guys have, have been paying attention to the elections and, and, and all the things that are going on, and people ask me, who are you going to vote for? I want to vote for D, none of the above. Because there's, no, there's nothing in this world that provides hope and comfort. Every politician is just a liar and a thief. Whether they're Democrats, Republican, or Independent. It's just how are they going to lie, steal, and cheat? What provides comfort is that one day God will destroy the sea. There will no longer be any despair. There will no longer be any destruction. There will no longer be any sorrow, any grief. Why? Because Jesus is. Because I am. In your despair, know that God satisfied the wrath that was due you by enduring it Himself. Once to look at the text, Jesus made three statements when he met his disciples. He looked at them and he said, first and foremost, he said, "Don't be afraid. Fear not." How can we? How can we? Not be afraid because we have an accurate understanding of the truth. Remember we started the message this morning. Fear is always accompanied with an incomplete understanding. The disciples were afraid because they thought that Jesus was just a man who could do great things. Why did they think that? Because they had, they had watched him grow up. They knew that he was born in Bethlehem, they knew he was raised in Nazareth as a, car, as a carpenter's son. They saw him as a man. And as Jesus is demonstrating himself, he's saying, don't be afraid. I'm more than just a man. I'm God. When we have an accurate understanding of who Jesus is, we have an accurate understanding that all things are held together by his sovereign hand, then we can take courage because in the end, he is God. He says, don't be afraid. I am. And then he makes this statement. He makes this statement. Verse 29, he says, come. Come. God meets us in our despair. He meets us in our incomplete understanding he meets us in our ignorance he meets us in our shame he meets us in our guilt he meets us in our darkness and he says come come to me that you might find healing come to me that you might find comfort come to me that you might find new life come don't be afraid i am Are you afraid of the dark? Are you afraid of things in your life? Are you afraid of the future? Are you afraid of what might happen? Don't be afraid. I am. Come. Let's pray. Father, there are those here this morning who know exactly where the disciples were out in the middle of the sea because they're there right now. They are sitting in the middle of the boat in the middle of the sea and they're in complete despair. If that's you this morning, Jesus says to you, don't be afraid I am come there's some of you out there this morning that need to stop trying to prove yourself to God and just come maybe there are those of you out there this morning that simply needed to be comforted by the reality that Jesus is in control During this time of invitation, I want to invite you to let go of your fear this morning. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. That starts with understanding who Jesus is. He is God. And He is in complete control. As we go into this invitation, as we sing, as we stand may you do business with God this morning if you need to come to this altar and pray if you need to grab somebody next to you and come to this altar and pray if you need to give your life to Christ may today be the day of salvation maybe God is calling you to be a part of this fellowship here at Redeemer to serve the body here I invite you to come May today be the day of obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and worship?